This morning, I, I actually do have a, a very short Bible study for you. You know, some may be thinking, uh, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Well, miracles never cease. Yeah. So Acts chapter 5, uh, starting in verse 11, it says, So great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Yet none of the rest dared join them, but the, uh, but the people esteemed them highly. And believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both women, men and women. So in our study through the book of Acts, we've come to Acts chapter 5, in verse 11. Uh, we study verse by verse through the entire Bible, as you guys know. And we've seen up to this point uh, the birth of the church. It occurred on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit was poured out upon the believers that were present then. And they began speaking the wonderful works of God. And Peter stood up and preached the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And those that heard, we're told, were cut to the heart. And they asked Peter, what should we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And as a result of Peter's preaching, some 3,000 men that day received Christ as their Savior, and they were baptized, and the church was born. And in Acts 2.42, it says, So continually daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. I mean, it was, a, it was a healthy church. It's a wonderful example for what the church, for what Calvary Chapel Truckee is supposed to look like. You know, that's not to say that this church didn't have difficulties. Sure, they had struggles. You know, they, they faced hardship. Peter and John were apprehended uh, by the Jewish leaders. And they were confronted and questioned. And they were questioned and confronted by the very same leaders who falsely accused, tried, and crucified Jesus Christ just months earlier. But the Holy Spirit met them in their trials. The Holy Spirit also strengthened them and gave them tremendous boldness. But you know what? <clears throat> the enemy never gives up. He never gives up. He's not so willing to give up the fight. He continues constantly to intimidate and to scheme. The religious leaders released Peter and John, but not without threatening them severely. Now, we need to understand, <clears throat> it's not really very much of a threat if a person or the persons that make the threat is actually powerless to carry it out, right? I mean, if they can't carry out their, their threat, if they're not able to follow through with their threat, then they're really more of a joke than a threat. But as I said, these religious leaders were the very ones that crucified Jesus Christ. And they're able to make good on any threat they issue. And Peter and John, they knew this. And they knew that was the case. So what did they do? Well, they sought the Lord. 
They returned to the church. They returned to those believers who were of the same mind, and they prayed. And when they prayed, the place where they had assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. God shook that place, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit afresh. And at that time, depending on how you read uh, the Scriptures, there's somewhere between five to 8,000 people in this newly birthed church. And Acts 4.32 tells us, Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. The church was filled with love and compassion for one another. And it was demonstrated by their giving of themselves along with uh, possessions that they had to meet the needs of others in the body. Psalm 133, 1 says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. David says that unity among God's people is, is good, and he says that it's pleasant. It's good because it reflects God's heart and purpose for his people. It's pleasant because it makes life so much more enjoyable for God's people. And it is beautiful. It's so wonderful when a church is unified, when there's no schisms or divisions, when there's an absence of backbiting and bickering and conflict. I mean, it is so good. It is so pleasant, so beautiful, so wonderful. When the church is just loving on one another with the love of Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 13, 35, By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Loving one another is the hallmark sign to the world that we're his followers. Love one for another is the evidence of our discipleship. Paul said, Philippians 2, verses 2 through 5, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you not let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Every time I read those verses, I'm struck by the word let. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Right? Let it happen. It's God's will for you. It's God's will for me. So let it happen in you. Let it happen in you, Gary. Present yourself as a living sacrifice to God that, you, that he might accomplish his will in you. The Bible says it's holy and it's acceptable to God. It's our reasonable or logical response in light of what he's done for us. It's our reasonable or logical act of worship to him. The writer of the book of Hebrews said, Hebrews 13, verse 1, let brotherly love continue. And John said, 1 John 3, 14, we know that we've passed from death to life 
Because we love the brethren. 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says, and now abide faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. I can honestly tell you this morning, when I sit down to prepare a study for Sunday mornings, I, I don't have a, a preconceived idea of where that study is going to head. You know, I don't have a planned direction when I, uh, when I go and I begin to study. You know, it's not something that I think that I'm going to make the text say ahead of time. But this Bible study this morning, I think, I, I really do believe that this is to be an encouraging word to us from the Lord. I know I spent some time last week talking about how we should love one another. And it's not that I think that we're lacking in that area as a church, but I do think that the Lord would have us increase in that area of love one for another. That we would seek to increase and abound in love one for another. Like Paul wrote to the church of Philippi, Philippians 1, 9, he says, and this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. You know, I think that the Lord would encourage us to really, truly endeavor to love one another, to hold each other up in prayer, to bear with one another, and to be genuinely concerned with the well-being of our brothers and sisters in the fellowship. Last week, we saw how the enemy sought to bring uh, an inside attack on the early church uh, by introducing hypocrisy into the body. And in a similar way, he's seeking to bring an end to our little fellowship. You know, not ours only, but every church that is faithfully teaching the word of God, right? The enemy is not pleased with us gathering together to study the Bible, you know, desiring to grow in our relationship and our walk with the Lord. He's not at all comfortable with the idea that we desire to shine as lights in this dark and dying world for the cause of Christ, to allow the life of Christ to be expressed through our lives so that Jesus would be magnified. The enemy is not happy with that. He's not happy that we desire that people would see Jesus in us and see it clearly in us, in our marriages, in our homes, in our workplaces, or in our communities. And because there's an enemy to our soul out there with the intention of seeking to steal, kill, and destroy, we need to be steadfast, immovable, in regards to our resolve to study the Word of God, to be in fellowship, to pray fervently for each other, and to love one another. The devil's plan is to put an end to our gathering together. And again, it's his plan, and it's not just directed towards us, right? It's his plan for every church that's seeking to worship the Lord in spirit and truth. He wants to bring destruction to our fellowship. He wants to do it through difficult situations, through trying times, through hypocrisy, through pride, 
through backbiting, gossip, magnifying something that someone said in passing, some perceived slight, right? He wants to bring division through sowing the seeds of discourse. And through these things, the enemy has brought an end to many churches. And it will be the end of our church if we do not guard our hearts, if we fail uh, to heed Paul's exhortation, 1 Corinthians 14.1, and that is to simply pursue love. The Greek word translated pursue there in 1 Corinthians 14.1 is the word dioko. Uh, you know, it means to run swiftly after, uh, to catch a person or thing, right? To run after, uh, you know, I think when I grew up in Southern California, if you rode a bus, you were a loser. I never rode a bus. Then we moved to Eastern Europe and you ride a bus. You ride a bus, you ride a, a, a street car, you ride the metro, you ride the train. And so I think this way, maybe you've experienced this. Have you ever ran to catch a bus or a train, right? Knowing that you're about to miss it. I mean, if you have, you know that it's not something that you can just casually walk up to. You know, they're going to wait. I'll get on board. No, it's not that way. You know, when it comes time, man, you see that bus taken off. You see that train taken off. I mean, you run as fast as you can run. And as that bus begins to take off, that train begins to leave the station, you shift things into high gear. You, tr you try to run as fast as you possibly can, even faster than... Uh, you can. I've seen people trip and fall and eat it running for a bus, running for a train, right? I've seen people closed in doors trying to run into the metro, you know? I mean, you give it all you got because if there's even a remote chance of catching that bus, that train, that metro, it's worth it. It's worth the effort. You might even start screaming and shouting, hoping the bus driver might slow down or hopefully he stops so you can get on board. And that's what dioko means. It means to press on. It means to give it your all. It's the picture of a runner coming to the finish line, extending his body, right? Straining with all of his might to win the race at the tape. Dioko means to go for it, to run swiftly in order to reach a goal, to seek after eagerly. It means to earnestly endeavoring to acquire. And I think, you know, again, I kind of think in pictures and experiences. Um, I think of a, a police car in hot pursuit. Man, its lights are flashing. Its siren is loudly warning others, get out of the way. Get out of the way because they're endeavoring to apprehend someone or something. What's interesting about 1 Corinthians 14.1, pursue love, is right there. In the Greek, there's actually an untranslated word, right? That word is Ho. Now, I'm not an English major, but ho is a definite article, right? The word for love there is agape, 
right? So what Paul is saying is to run after, to press on in an effort to obtain, eagerly and earnestly endeavoring to acquire this love. That's what he's saying. This agape love, this unconditional love, a love that expects absolutely nothing in return, right? The love that's completely given over to the object that is being loved, right? No strings attached, a perfect love. That's what Paul's asking us to pursue, a love that covers a multitude of sins. First Peter 4, 8, Peter says, above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. The Greek word that Peter uses there for fervent, it means stretched out, stretched out continually, extended, intense. The synonym would be unceasing. The English word for fervent could mean white hot. That's the type of love we're to have for one another. Calvary Chapel Truckee. That's the type of love we're supposed to have. That's the type of love that God wants us to have. And Peter says, that's the type of love that we're to have one for another above all things. Now, obviously, Peter doesn't mean that, that our love for one another is to be above our love for God or above our love for our families, right? But in regards to one another, we're to let the love of God overflow our hearts and fill up our relationships that we have with one another. The Apostle John wrote in 1 John 3.18, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I don't mind reminding you, he says, my little children, let us not love in word or in uh, tongue, right? But in deed and in truth, Right? It's to be completely a genuine love that we have one for another. This is God's heart for each of us as followers of Christ individually. And this is God's heart for us as a church. Again, this is what was happening in this early church that we're looking at here in the book of Acts. And we read that you, uh, and you can look down at it. Acts 4, verse uh, 33, you can read. They had this love, and there was great power, and great grace was upon them all. And then in Acts 5, 11 and 12, a couple of the verses we're looking at this morning, we read, great fear came upon all the church, and through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. Right? People often ask, hey, why is it, that we don't see miracles, signs, and wonders today like we see in the book of Acts? And personally, I think that that's a reasonable question. But I don't think the answer is one that the church wants to hear. You know, we, see, uh, we sing songs like more love, more power, more of you in our lives, right? When we should be saying less sin, less pride, less carnality in my life, right? In, in my mind, that's the greatest need in the church today. 
That's our greatest need as a church today. And I'm not trying to point fingers at anyone. I'm not trying to be condemning anyone. Hey, you're not doing enough. You're not loving enough. You know, that's not, that's not my heart because I know for sure less sin, less pride, less carnality is something that I need in my life, right? And too often those things, sin, pride, and carnality, you know, they're what prevent the power of God from flowing through our lives. They're the roadblock. They're the Hoover Dam preventing God's spirit flowing through our lives. You know, I think in most Christians, and, I, and you know, I'm guilty of it. Most Christians, there's just too much compromise, justification. There's too much apathy, general malaise in the church today. And those attitudes are seeking to take up residence in our hearts in increasing measures as the days uh, go on. I honestly believe, I honestly believe if we'll make Jesus our chief joy, if we'll make him the one thing we desire, like David said, Psalm 27, 4, he said, one thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire uh, in his temple. God was David's sole pursuit. God wasn't, you know, number one on a list of 10. God wasn't number one with a really distant second. And he certainly wasn't, you know, one thing that I'll get around to when I have time. In David's heart, God was the one thing, the only thing, the sole desire of his heart. He said, the one thing I desire, and that will I seek. And again, I honestly believe if we'll put Jesus first in all things and walk in love towards one another, as Paul instructs us to in Ephesians 5, 2, he says, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. If we choose to walk in love as Christ loved us, how did he love us? Completely, totally, expecting nothing in return. Perfectly. If we will make the choice to do this and repent of our sins, repent of our doubting, repent of our lack of faith, getting our eyes off the circumstances that surround us, the circumstances that so easily ensnare us. When we stop allowing grumbling and murmuring to take place in our heart, when we repent of our lack of love and compassion, our failure to seek him first, our failure to make the Lord the single priority in our lives, a surrendering to him in everything, if we'll make the choice to do these things, then I believe we'll see God's overwhelming power in our lives. We'll see God's great grace upon our lives. Then great fear, the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom, will come upon us individually and then as a church, right? And it'll also come upon those around us. That's what we read in Acts chapter 5. 
And personally, I believe it's then that we'll see God do amazing things. We'll see miracles in and through our lives and we'll be witnesses to him, resulting in his praise and his glory. And we'll see souls added to the Lord, just like we read in uh, Acts chapter 5, 11 through 14. And as I said, when I sat down to begin this study, this isn't the direction that, you know, I had, hey, I'm going to talk about love. And I, I shaped the study to go that direction. That's not what I do. I, I have no idea uh, what direction that we're going to head in when I begin a study. I never have an agenda or a topic in mind that I'm going to press home when I begin uh, preparing for a study. But I do believe, in light of where we are as a church, I do believe this is God's sincere, His sincere desire for us as a church. To hear these things and then to take them to heart. Let's not just let them, you know, roll off of us. Let's take it to heart. I don't think this study is intended is intended to be condemning. It's not my heart to condemn anybody because again, these are things that I'm guilty of. But I do think it's God's heart to encourage us for us to make adjustments where adjustments are needed. And I, uh, I, I think we're to honestly consider what place the Lord has in our lives and how we're carrying out his commandment. In John 15, 12, he said that we should love one another as he has loved us. Again, how has he loved us? Man, he's loved me wonderfully. He doesn't want me to do anything to earn his love. He doesn't want me to, to be anything to earn his love. And he's not expecting anything in return for his love. He just wants me to let him love me. And he wants me to let him do it perfectly. And that's how he desires us to treat each other. So I told you we had a short Bible study. That's it. Yeah, hallelujah, huh? It only comes around once in a lifetime. Let's pray, okay? Father God, I pray you would forgive us of our sins, Lord. Forgive us of not giving you the place in our lives, your love, your mercy, your grace deserves. Lord, forgive us for our lack of faith, for our lack of love. Father, I pray that you would forgive us for our sin, our carnality, our justification, our compromise. Father, I believe what Paul said writing to Timothy, I believe that your word is given to us by the inspiration of God, that it's literally God-breathed, and I believe that it's true. It says that it's profitable for doctrine. It's profitable for teaching and learning, for reproof. It's there to convict the hearts of those that are willing to listen. And I believe, Lord, that it's profitable for correction, to, to bring correction into our life, to restore us to a right or an upright state. And I believe that it's profitable for us for instruction and in righteousness. 
Lord, that's our heart this morning. Would you please teach us? Would you bring conviction where conviction is needed? Lord, would you bring growth in the areas that we need to grow in? Lord, there's room to grow. Lord, you, would you restore to us a right standing, a right posture before you? Lord, loving one another. Lord, in your eyes, just being loving followers of Christ. Lord, would you work that in us? Lord, I believe that for you to do that, it would be gracious on your part. It would be merciful on your part to instruct us and teach us and the ways we're to go. Lord, I pray that you would search us today. Lord, everyone that's here, everyone that's watching online, everyone that will watch this video at some later date, I pray you would search us, Lord. Search us even now. Know our hearts. Lord, try us. Know our anxieties. And Lord, see if there's any wicked way in us and lead us in that way of, of uh, everlasting. Lord, lead us into the center of your will. Lord, lead us deep into the center of your will for our lives as individuals, as couples, as families, as a church in order that we might be effective witnesses to you in this town, this, this area, this nation, and abroad, Lord. I pray, would you do it, please? Would you pour out your grace, pour out your spirit, and be merciful to your people, Lord? I ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen.